Well, good morning, and welcome to Browncroft. If you are online visiting with us, we're glad to have you there. If you're here, we are super glad to have you here with us as well. Happy Labor Day. Uh, Tear, summer, almost over. Uh, It pains my soul. But anyway... That's beyond, that's beyond what we're discussing here today. As Rob said in that bumper video uh, just a few minutes ago, he is going to start next week a series on discipleship. Now, discipleship is kind of this churchy word that we use sometimes, but it essentially means the, the process of following Jesus and having your life look like his life. And a little secret between me and you guys, I've seen some of his notes and it's going to be good, okay? So you're going to want to be here for the next few weeks because he's going to do an awesome job talking about that. I think the process of discipleship really is a holistic thing, meaning it takes all of our lives. Um, I believe it takes our, our heads, our hearts, and our hands when we think about discipleship. So Our heads, it's our thoughts, what we're reflecting on, our beliefs, our hearts, our emotions, our motivations, uh, our hands, our outward actions. If you think about what we talk about a lot in American society and American churches, sometimes we talk about the head a lot. This is what you should believe, right? Uh, Occasionally, we, we talk about the hands a lot. This is what you should do. But this morning, I'm gonna be talking about the heart, the heart, because I think if you don't get the heart right, then nothing else matters. So the heart of discipleship, that's what we're talking about this morning. Let me start by uh, sharing with you uh, a little story, and it took place around this time of year, I don't know, I think it was six or seven years ago, that I participated in my first Tough Mudder race. Has anybody ever heard of the Tough Mudder or, or participated in a Tough Mudder? Any Tough Mudder fans out there? Well, if you, if you haven't, if, if you've seen some of these online, maybe on Facebook, people post pictures, epic pictures of themselves, right? Um, this race was 11 and a half miles up and down hills, uh, but most importantly, the mud, right? So like you're crawling underneath barbed wire, um, there's times where you're crawling in pits. You, you climb over high walls that, that you got to climb over together. You're carrying people through the mud. You are slithering through the mud for 11 and a half miles. And then at the end, just when you think the whole thing is done, there's one last obstacle. And for the final 40 yards... You see in front of you wires hanging down, wires. And at the tip of each one of those wires is an electrical shock. Yes, right? That was my thought exactly. As I was, as I, so, so I'm, I'm sitting there at the end of this race and the finish line is right there. All I have to do is run through these, these wires, right? So I thought, well, other people are doing it. They're going, and they seem to be fine, so I'm just going to do it. So I take off, just everything I got, 40 more yards. First, first wire hits me in the shoulder. Poof, oh, it felt like someone punched me. And I was like, 
okay, I can handle that. I just keep on going. Another one, boom, oh, boom, oh. And then I get to the very end, the, and it turns out that some of these wires actually had a little more electrical current than others. Didn't know that going into it. That would have been a helpful thing to know. <laughs> boom, right on the back of my head, face first into the mud. Let me show you my Tough Mudder epic picture. Could I show you that? Um, there it is. There it is. It just so happens, wasn't it nice a photographer was right there at the finish line to capture this moment? Isn't that great? Yeah, that's me epically Tough Muttering it out. Yeah, right at the finish line. I thought about who's here this morning. Who would come to church or even watch church online on Labor Day weekend? I got two types of people that probably would do that. One, you're here because you're really committed. Thank you for being really committed. That's awesome. Um, another group of people are people feeling like that guy was <laughs> in the Tough mutter. You just feel broken you feel at the end of your rope. You feel like you're face down in the mud. And for some people, you might be here as, this is my last shot. God, if you're going to talk to me, today might be the last opportunity for you to do that. You know, no matter where you are here today, I just want to say, you are welcome here. And I'm so glad that you chose to join us this morning. We're going to look at a passage this morning that hopefully will help us no matter where you are on that spectrum. The fact is, some of us may be really committed and really hurting at the same time. Some of us feel like we just got done with a Tough mutter race over the past 18 months, and now we're face down at one last obstacle to go. There's even more than we thought there was. There's a passage that we're going to look at together uh, in the Bible. But before we look at the passage, I'm actually going to show a picture that we're going to reflect on together throughout the course of this morning as well. It's by Rembrandt. And for those of you who uh, know Rembrandt, one of the most famous painters of history, right? One of the things about Rembrandt as I studied him was the fact that his, his self-portraits ended up becoming increasingly more accurate as time went on. And so if you look at his self-portraits when he was younger, it's almost like he had a Snapchat filter before Snapchat happened. He just kind of made everything look nice, you know, in himself. But then as he progresses through life, he becomes more and more accurate about who he is. It's like he's taking this inner look into his soul and expressing that outwardly. And one of the final paintings that Rembrandt paints is the one that we're going to look at right now. It's called The Return of the Prodigal Son. Here it is up on the screen. And so I want to take just a moment for you to reflect on this picture. Where does that speak to you this morning? What does that image convey to your heart? Not just what are you thinking about it, but what's going on inside of your heart as you see that picture? 
we're going to keep on returning to this picture throughout the course of this morning, but let this sink in for a moment. I'm going to read the passage that this picture was painted about, but before I do, um, I'm going to give a little context for it. So the religious leaders of Jesus' day come up to him and say, Jesus, why do you hang out with scumbags? Well, that's not exactly what they said. They didn't use the word scumbags. That's my modern take on it. But essentially, that's what they were saying. Why do you eat with sinners, they said. Um, and Jesus responds by saying, that's an interesting question that you should say that. Let me tell you three stories. I love Jesus. He's so amazing like that. He doesn't even, he doesn't get right to him. He just says, let me tell you three stories. The first story he tells is a shepherd going after a lost sheep. And then he tells a story about a woman who is searching her whole house for a lost coin. And then finally he ends with this story of a lost son. And that's the story that we're going to read this morning. Let's pick it up in Luke 15, 11. Luke 15, 11 says this. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs, the lowest of the low. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll go out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Pause. So we're going to look at this painting one more time, and we're going to zoom in now from the big painting into individual characters on this painting. And first of all, we're going to look at the younger son. Observe the younger son for a moment or two. And I want you, this is actually going to be interactive, like real time. This is going to be crazy, right? I want you to come up with one word that you would describe the younger son, okay? What's one word you would use to describe the younger son in this picture? What was that? Resentful. Resentful. Okay. What else? Mean. What's that? Mean. mean. Me. 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 Not mean. Me. Uh, what do you mean by me? Get into that. Gotcha. Ah, so it's a personal story for you. It's like, this is not just some theory. This is me. Oh, it's so beautiful. What else do we got? Weary, repentant, remorse, broken, desperate. Oh, what's that? 
relief too, yes, relief too. Finally, it's over. Finally, I'm here. Oh, you guys, we could go on for a long time with this. And such great insight already. Yeah, I love these words. I mean, one of the ones that I first thought of was broken as I looked at that story. And, and here's the deal. The, the son is with the father here in the father's presence, enjoying the father's presence, but he does something unbelievably prideful. He looks the father square in the face and he says, I want your stuff more than I want you. I wish you were dead. That's what he's telling him. I wish you were dead. Give me your stuff. Now, the father has a couple of different options in this moment, right? He could just say, oh, I'll show you, wish I was dead, and like smack him upside the head. He could kick him out of the house. But he says, you know what? I'll give it to you. And, and the father looks at the son and the, all the son's pride, and he says, here you go. And the son then takes all of that stuff, and he goes to a faraway land, and he squanders it all. He wastes it all. For a while, it was a ton of fun here in the faraway land. He was partying it up here. But eventually it became empty. And more and more the loss started to set in. And no one was there when all the money ran out. And the hollowness set in in his soul. Has anybody ever been here in this spot before? It's not a fun spot to be. I have this theory that, that really in order to follow Jesus, to truly grasp following Jesus, all of us needs to hit that spot in one way or another. We need to come to the conclusion that one way or another we can't do this on our own, that we're broken, that we can't earn God's favor anymore. For me, I was raised in a Christian house. Um, I was a pastor's kid, so I had it really bad, okay? <laughs> I knew all the right answers you could know from the time I was in the crib, all right? I went to Christian high school. I went to Christian college. There's nobody who knew more stuff than I knew. Well, I mean, some people did, but I knew a lot, okay? Um, but it didn't translate into a heart change for me. It was all just, yeah, yeah, Jesus. Until I graduated from college and I started to feel that emptiness inside. I started to feel the, the longing for more and for purpose in my life. And I, the purpose wasn't found in me. I couldn't create this purpose on my own. It had to be something outside of me. And I remember starting to read the Bible again at this stage of my life. And two things hit me. Number one, man, I'm more messed up than I thought I was. And number two, wow, Jesus is more amazing than I ever knew. And one night, I was laying there in my bed. I think it was like two in the morning. And I had just read the book of Matthew. At the end of the book of Matthew, Jesus dying. And I had this moment at which I know, you know, it wasn't an audible voice, but some of you may have experienced this. Not audible, but close to audible. I don't know how to describe that. But it was just, 
John, that was for you. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. Oh my goodness, that was for me. I heard that millions of times in my life, but in that moment, I realized I need Jesus, and Jesus died for me. Um, in that moment, I tossed and turned for about an hour, and I finally said, okay, God, here you go. Here's everything. And I prayed the most inarticulate prayer you could ever pray for someone who was raised in a church world, okay? It was something like, the words just were stubborn, stubborn. Jesus, I'm sorry, um, if you want me to do anything, I'll do it for the rest of my life. Amen. And all of a sudden, I started crying, and I started laughing, and I started crying again, and something felt so different inside of me that I didn't know how to describe it. I actually went to the bathroom mirror to look because I thought, I'm not joking, I thought something must look differently on the outside than it is on, because I feel so different inside, I must actually look different outside. My hair was still gone, by the way. Um, but Jesus was changing me, and that's where Jesus meets us. Here's a principle that we're going to come back to. God is patient with our pride, but... He blesses our brokenness. He's patient with our pride, but he blesses our brokenness. Let's keep on going on with this story, and let's look at the father in this story. Pick it up in verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf. Let's have a barbecue and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's take a look again at this picture, okay? Picture of the father this time. What do you see as you look at the father? One word. Compassion. Really good. Tenderness. I love that. Yeah. Forgiveness. Totally. Yeah. What else? Love. Yeah, was there something else? Joy, too, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so good. I mean, if you, if you look at that picture, the overwhelming sense of acceptance and love, right? And it's not that the Father is... I think sometimes we have this vision of God standing there with his arms crossed, like, you better come back to me, and, and you better be bringing all the money that you... you squandered as well, or else you're not getting back into my house. But that's not the, the picture that Jesus paints of the Father in this, in this passage. The picture that Jesus paints is a picture of him looking and waiting for the Son to return. And when he does, this isn't 
Culturally speaking, we don't resonate with this as much, but what the father does is super scandalous. He runs out to meet the son. Old men in that culture did not run. There's a few reasons for that, but one of the primary reasons was they were wearing robes. If an old man was wearing a robe, what did you have to do to run? You had to hike up your robe. If you hiked up your robe, their boxer briefs weren't embedded yet, so you had to, you know, it just was like, just don't do it, okay? So old guys just didn't run. So he runs out to greet his son, and there in this moment, the embrace happens. And his son goes on to telling this story. He thinks, I got to make something up for dad, and I got to tell him I got to earn this. I got to work for this. Dad, I'm going to make it right. And his dad stops him in the middle of it, and he says, let's celebrate. My son is found. So my question then becomes, why don't I experience God this way? Or why don't we experience God this way that often? Here's a theory of mine. There's a few different reasons, but one of them, I think, is because we don't experience other people that way. We've never known someone to act that way toward us. Am I right? Like, that's radical for that to happen. I remember, like, I think it was 11 years ago or so, I was in a counselor's office with my wife, and we were working through marriage stuff in a counselor's office. And I'm sitting there, and counselor was super insightful. He heard our stories for several, you know, minutes, just us talking. And uh, at one point, he stops the conversation, and he says, John, you're hurting. And I said, okay. I guess, you know, I said, I, 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 intellectually, I know what you're saying is true, but I can't feel it. And he said, it's okay, you've just never been safe before. And I was like, oh. Um, so we talked some more, and then he put pause on the conversation, and everybody else left the room except for me. And as I was sitting there, I let those words sink in a little bit. You've never felt safe before. And all of a sudden, I just started weeping. And I'm sitting there in this room all by myself, and I'm just sobbing by myself because I realized how true those words were to me. And then my wife comes in, and I think she was probably freaked out at first, but she didn't act freaked out. So she, she just kind of put her arm around me. She didn't say anything. She didn't fix it. She just put her arm around me and let me cry. And that for us was one of those turning points in our marriage because I felt, out what, I felt what it felt like to be safe for one of the first times in my life. And that's what Jesus is pointing to God and saying God is the ultimate safe figure in your life. You can bring anything to him. You can bring who you truly are to God and he cares, he knows. God is patient with our pride, but he blesses our brokenness. We're going to just end up here on the final part of this picture, and that's of the older brother. Let's look at his picture here together, the older brother. As you look at this, what comes to your mind? 
Indifference? That's a good word. I like that one. Yeah. What else? Yeah, bud. Madness? Yeah, that's a good word. I like that. That's a very good word. Yeah. What else? Jealous? Yeah. Yeah. Sorrow? Disapproval. That's a really good word, too. I like that. Anger? Right. Yeah. Self-righteous. Yeah. Okay, so here's, here's the scene, right? The, the father and the younger brother are in an embrace. And I think Rembrandt does a good job with this picture because here's the older brother kind of in the darkness, separated from them. And in this distance, there's judgment in between this distance, right? There's a lot of judgment happening here. Now, sometimes people will say to me, you know, I don't go to church because church is filled with judgmental people, right? You know how I respond to that? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I don't argue. Like I said, I grew up in the church. The church is filled with wonderful people. But there's also a lot of judgment that happens in churches too. In my own heart, there's stuff that happens that's judgmental. But, but if you think you're going to escape judgment by escaping the church, that's, that's just flat out wrong. Because the whole world is judging every day. Everybody's judging everybody, right? Let me throw out a couple trigger words for you right now. How about vaccine, right? Mask. Just throwing out a couple there. Just scroll on your social media feed and see how that turns out for you in, in terms of a non-judgmental zone, right? It's filled with judgment. The whole world is. But we're called to a different experience as Christians. And, and if we reflect back on why Jesus is telling this story, it's about the religious leaders asking him the question, why do you hang out with scumbags? And Jesus is getting around to the point and he's saying, because they realize they need help, but you don't. And this is the scariest place to be. Because the older brother is just as lost as the younger brother, but he doesn't even know it. And that is scary. Remember what I said before about your head and your heart and your hands, right? The religious leaders had all of the knowledge in the world that they could possibly have about God. All of their actions, were they, they lived holier than anybody else around, but their hearts were far from God. And that will always get you in trouble. And so Jesus brings out the point that pride, God is patient with pride, but he blesses brokenness. Now, when I say that statement, God is patient with pride, I think the reason why Jesus gets around to this is that does not mean that God condones pride because eventually people who are proud will eventually, it catches up to them. The Bible tells us this, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, right? And it also doesn't mean you're not going to have to suffer consequences if you're proud. There's a lot of proud people that will have to suffer consequences for their pride. Um, 
But what it does mean is there's a safe place. If we turn to God in brokenness, there's a safe place there for us. That's what I pray for all of us that we would experience. You know, at the end of that Tough mutter race, um, I, I was there with my face in the ground. As soon as it hit the ground, I heard someone yell, bro, are you okay? It was my brother-in-law. Now, I've never had a brother, <laughs> but I have a brother-in-law who's like a brother. And so we hang out together all the time, and, and we were running this race together. And he goes, bro, are you okay? And I'm like, I think I got knocked out. <laughs> and he's like, okay. So I crawl to the finish line, right? And uh, I get up, and he, like, helps me up. And he's like, okay, let me take you over to the T-shirt table. Which T-shirt you want? Oh, that one. Okay, great. All right, let's get the T-shirt. And he's just talking me through. He's making sure I'm okay. And that's the picture of what Jesus does for us. In our brokenness, he meets us right there and says, bro, I'm here. Let me take you to the Father. Let me take you to the place where you're safe. Come on with me. And he didn't just love us enough just to talk words for us. He loved us enough to put those words into action and to die for us. And that's what we're celebrating here this morning. We're about ready to celebrate communion together. But before we do that, I just want to ask you, where are you this morning? Where's your heart? Is your heart in a spot where you came into church this morning or online this morning and you're thinking, wow, God's pretty lucky to have a follower like myself. <laughs> All those other people, the people that I see on Facebook and stuff, whoa, crazy people. But me, I'm a pretty, pretty good follower, if I got to say. It's okay, I've been there too. Um, or this morning, are, are you just in a broken spot? Are you in a spot where you're like, God, if you didn't show up this morning, I don't know. I don't know if I could make it. Um, no matter where you are, we all need the same thing. All of us. Each person in this room, including the guy standing up here. And it's what's shown in that picture, the prodigal son. Let's just reflect on that picture one more time. We all need the loving embrace of the Father. But we won't get there on our pride. We only get there through our brokenness. Like I said, Jesus is the ultimate example of this. And the night before he died, he gathered together his disciples to celebrate one last meal with them. And today, this morning, communion is the moment that we commemorate that last meal together and the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And this is something that we do as Christians to celebrate that. So if you're in a spot here this morning where you're like, I don't even, I don't know about God. God, I, I feel just far away from you. I don't know if I'm following you. The best thing you could do this morning is just to turn to him and say, Jesus, here's my life. It does not have to be, I'm living proof that it does not have to be an articulate prayer, okay? It just needs to be from your heart that he is in control of everything. 
But no matter where we are this morning, we can do a heart check and go, is this where I'm at with God? And communion is a perfect opportunity to do that. So let's take a moment. If you're here in the auditorium this morning, you can just bend the tip of this down until it kind of clicks, okay? Then you can peel back the top layer to expose the cracker that's there. And as Jesus prepares to usher in communion, he says this about the bread. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Jesus did this, gave his body so that we could have a relationship with him. Let's eat. And you can peel back the foil over the cup. And in that same meal, Jesus takes a cup of wine. The passage tells us, then he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's celebrate. fact is, no matter where you're at this morning, whether it's home, here, no matter where your emotional state is, Jesus loves you enough that he would die for you. Not just for all those people out there, but like I had that realization for me, for you. And he did. We can celebrate that this morning and run to the loving embrace of the Father. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray for each person here, each person watching online. Lord, would you meet us where we are at? You know the stories that we're bringing in. You know our hearts. Lord, you know our brokenness. Lord, you know everything about us. Lord, I pray that you would break through through your Holy Spirit and that we would be united with you in a profound way, that our hearts would be connected with you, not just in our minds, not just in what we do outwardly, Lord, but that our emotions, our hearts, everything would be flowing out of a deep love for you, Lord. Lord, thank you for loving us so much. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a mercy offering this morning as well um, on the way out, which goes just to people who are in need in our community. So uh, that will be with the ushers on the way out. Thank you guys for being here this morning on Labor Day weekend. And God bless.